Welcome to the Church at Sun Coast. Our Sunday morning worship starts at 11 a.m., Sunday school at 10 a.m., and Wednesday fellowship at 5.30 p.m. And now sit back, relax, and let's meditate on the Word of God. Well, on a long-distance journey, it is good occasionally on a long road trip to take an excursion. Not a detour, but an excursion. When you're going a long distance, sometimes it comes up on the sign along the road that there's a certain waterfall or a cavern or something that you can um, go off and look at. It gives you kind of a break from the long road trip that you're on. We are on a very long road trip through the book of Matthew. And so today, I thought we would take a short excursion because of today's date. Uh, Today is, beginning at the sundown yesterday, is the festival of Shabbat, if I pronounce that correctly. Um, The Jews call it the festival or feast of weeks. We would know it by its Greek name, Pentecost. Uh, It was on this particular day, 50 days after Passover, that they celebrated this festival of weeks. And so it is near and dear to our hearts because that was the day the Holy Spirit came and entered the church and brought the finished work of Jesus Christ within that festival, within that day of Pentecost, and the church was born that day. Here we are, 2,000 years later, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, same Spirit they got on that particular day. Now you think, well, what in the world are we worried about Jewish festivals for? Uh, There's a very good reason. Uh, It correlates perfectly with the plan of redemption at every step and level. See? We are not Jews, we are Christians, and yet God works according to these festivals. It was on the very day of the Passover that Jesus Christ died. And we're going to go through the seven, seven, pass, the seven festivals of the Lord today, just kind of briefly, to show you the redemptive track. We will spend most of our time with that Feast of Weeks and talk about the significance of that But let's kind of run through the festival, uh, the seven festivals um, that we have here. Uh, Three of these seven are required for all Jewish males. Um, Give me the next one. Three of these festivals are required for all Jewish males and walking distance to go to. The first one, of course, was the Passover, 50 days back from today, uh, in the month of Nisan, and uh, it was the... It was to celebrate and to remember the death angel passing over the children of Israel. It was done by the blood being smeared on the the doorpost. That was the great night that God's death angel passed over. And when he saw the blood, it was all over. He just went on to the Egyptians It's a beautiful picture of being covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, of being born again. Now, right after the the Passover day were seven days of unleavened bread. 
And how that worked was this. The purpose for the unleavened bread was to remember how fast they had to go. That that night there was not time for the bread to rise up. They had to bake what they got, baked it without it rising up, so it was a flat bread. They grabbed what they had and went, left. Egypt is a picture of the world. When people get saved, it's a, it's, a, it's a leaving out of the world into the, into the family of God. It's to be done quickly. It, the world is to be abandoned. And so this grabbing what you've got and taking off is a picture of that first days of leaving the world as believers. Uh, the next festival was the festival of first fruits. First fruits. Now, When Israel left Egypt, they traveled for three days till they got to the the Red Sea. And all of these these occasions occurred within the time frame that they laid out these festivals. So the festival of first fruits uh, was an offering at the end of the seven days, and it was the grain offering. They took the first fruits and the grain. That, and by the way, this was an incredible festival that the Jews brought up their first fruits all up to Jerusalem. They, they laid it on their donkeys. They laid flowers on those donkeys. They sang songs. They brought this up to Jerusalem in this incredible festival, and then they took their first fruits of, of of figs and grain and and really the barley harvest was coming in then and they would wave that un, undone stuff in in the in the air to the Lord and they would eat that unleavened bread for seven days at the end was the feast of first fruits they'd present and thank God for these are agricultural but they're spiritual in nature because this is the, this is when they crossed over the Red Sea and 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 wandered for those seven days. Now, the next one is Pentecost, and that's what we're going to look at in depth today, although we're going to pass by it kind of quickly at this point and just tell you that this was the celebration of 50 days after their leaving Egypt when they presented themselves at Mount Sinai to receive the law, to receive the Torah, okay? So this was Pentecost, so you have the leaving out of the Passover, you have the unleavened bread, Uh, they took off and got over the Red Sea and out into the wilderness, and then they traveled around for 50 days, and they made it back to Mount Sinai, where they were to receive the law, the Torah. So here you have, the very important for you to lodge this in your mind, that they received the law on the 50th day. That's the celebration of Pentecost. So there's a spiritual celebration of receiving the law, and there's an agricultural celebration of, of this festival of weeks. Now there's a difference. Well, let's go on to the next one. I'm going to go back to that. Trumpets. By the way, These first four are in the spring. Trumpets is in the fall. What could trumpets relate to, to the Christian experience? The rapture of the church, when the the trump of God will sound and we'll be taken up. 
Now, I just suggest this in passing, but I want you to consider this. If God was very specific to have Jesus die right on the Passover, and he was very specific to have the Holy Spirit come right on the day of Pentecost, might he not be very specific that the church will be raptured on this festival of trumpets? Well, you might wonder when it happens because you might want to get your bags packed. It's the fall and it's September, October time. Okay? So we get past October, you got another year. (laughs) You know, short accounts until then and then just take out the loans and have a good time for another year. Okay? But I think he's coming in September, October of whatever year he's coming. Okay? So that's when they blew the trumpets. Uh, the atonement, the great day of atonement, this was the day when, when the, the, the sacrifice was offered for the entire people, okay? And then you have the festival of tabernacles, tabernacles. For a whole week after the day of atonement, they set up these little tents, these little structures, these temporary structures all over Jerusalem, and they lived in those tabernacles, Kind of a picture of a temporary dwelling. Kind of a picture of a temporary dwelling where we live now because our eternal home is with God. Everything in this life is nothing more than a tent. It is a tabernacle. That's all it is. It's it's sheetrock and stucco and boards. It's just a tent. And so this thing of tabernacles. Okay, so let's look at the verses that specifically talk about the Shabbat, this festival of weeks. Now, what is weeks? It is 50 days, which would be seven times seven plus one day. So you have seven weeks, seven times seven is 49, plus one day, which is Pentecost. All right, bring up the next slide, if you would. There's Leviticus 23, 15, and we're just going to read through these next couple verses so that you can see there's something about the difference between this festival and the festival of unleavened bread. All right? So Leviticus 23.15, this accounts for the Israel, their particular festival, and it says, and you shall count seven full weeks. Now, what is the number seven significant of? It's the significant of divine completion. It's seven days in a week. There's divine completion. Seven times seven is the completeness of completeness. It is complete, complete, complete. What's going to go on here? So after seven days, from the day after the Sabbath, that's the Sabbath. That's, Sabbath can be one of two things. For the Jews, it can be either every Saturday or whatever day that festival falls on is also counted as a Sabbath. So it's seven weeks after the Sabbath of the Passover, from the day that you brought the sheave of the wave offering. Go to the next verse. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. Now, look how specific it is of what you are to bring in the next verse. You shall bring from your dwelling places, two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of an ephrod. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked. Notice, now we put the leaven in. Isn't that interesting? No leaven in the first offering. Now we have leaven. 
And they shall be a fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Now, let's talk about leaven. Because I think we're going to get at the core of the day of Pentecost when we do this. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter I know, Matthew. Let's go to Matthew first. Matthew chapter 16, verse 6. If you were to ask the average Christian what leaven symbolizes in the scripture, about nine times out of ten, and probably almost ten times out of ten, they will tell you that leaven is a sign or picture of corruption and sin. That would be the stock standard answer to any Christian if you ask them, what does leaven which is a rising like yeast, what does that symbolize in the scripture? Well, most Christians would say it's sin. I wouldn't argue that point, but I would say it doesn't directly and immediately and essentially mean sin at all. It can lead to sin, but I don't think leaven is sin at all. Let me show you why. Matthew chapter 16, verse 6. Matthew chapter 16, verse 6, and let's go back to verse 5 for context. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and scribes. Now, in another place, he calls it, which is hypocrisy. Well, what's the hypocrisy? Go on and look. But they began discussing among themselves, saying, we brought no bread, but Jesus Aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive, do you not remember the five? This isn't about bread at all. Verse 11. How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and scribes. Notice verse 12. It's an explanation of what Jesus meant. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching, the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. I want to suggest to you, and I'm going to show you in another place, why I believe this is true. Leaven is teaching. Leaven is doctrine. Whether that doctrine be good or whether that doctrine be bad. Because if you're going to say that leaven is sin, you're going to have a lot of trouble with the little parable Jesus said. He said, the kingdom of God is like a woman who took leaven, yeast, and put it in three measures of, of, of flour or of dough. And the kingdom of God rose out of that. I don't think he meant there's, that his kingdom is full of sin. I think it's full of teaching, good teaching. Okay? So why would you have leaven... Why would you have leaven, unleavened bread down there? And now I want to deal with a passage that maybe comes to your mind as a Christian. It's in Corinthians. It talks about the leaven of sin, where Paul said, a little leaven leaveneth the whole loaf. And he's talking about sin. He's talking about a specific situation in Corinth that they were not dealing with a very specific sin that was going on. What caused this attitude toward this sin within this church not being dealt with. It was bad teaching. It was a doctrine and teaching in this church that grace meant you could live any way you want to live. A loose, careless grace that says it doesn't matter what sin is anymore. That's wrong doctrine. That's bad teaching. And the bad teaching will always lead to sin. Do you know it goes the other way? 
Legalistic preaching leads to much sin. Karen was, uh, went to a college for many years, which was a strict, conservative, legalistic school. And years after she left, she found that teachers and faculty were all involved in all kinds of sin and much worse sin than they were pointing at the students to stay away from. Legalism leads to sin. Loose teaching about grace leads to sin. Wrong teaching leads to sin, but it is not sin because right teaching is also leaven that rises, raises it up. Now, go to, with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 15. Show you something that happened in between the time that they left on the Passover that they made it to Mount Sinai. Chapter 15 of the book of Exodus. Math, or Exodus chapter 15 in verse 22. Because if Pentecost is the 50th day that they showed up at Mount Sinai, that is a celebration of the receiving of the Torah, the Ten Commandments, the teaching that does matter. Notice chapter 15, verse 22. This is an occasion that happened on their journey in between the Passover and the mountain. Watch this. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Mirah, they could not drink the water of Mirah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was called Mirah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. Now, take a look, take a look at the word showed. It's Hebrew, it's the word Torah, which is a strange word to use in the sentence. The word log could mean a branch, it could mean a log. It's simply the Hebrew word edda, etta, which is the tr- word for a tree, any tree. Perhaps, the, like the, it's the same word used in Genesis when it says the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Follow me? So literally in the Hebrew it says, and the Lord taught him a tree. Strange, isn't it? He taught him a tree. Notice what he does with the tree or the log or the branch or whatever it was. He said he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. I want to suggest to you at this very point that this is an analogy and picture of the, of the tree of life being thrown into the water of the word of God that refreshes people and made the water sweet. How many of y'all were attracted to the Bible before you were saved? Maybe two hands. What does, it mean? what does it mean to you now? If it's sweet to you, it's because Christ lives in you and your focus is his life. It's sweet because you're born again and these words jump off the page at you and mean something to your soul. Not because you're different, but because Christ lives in you, the tree of life. This tree This etta was thrown into the water and all of a sudden it became sweet to them. 
Go to the New Testament, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. So this festival of weeks, this 50th day, they stood at the mountain and they received the Torah. Chapter 6 of Romans. Once you're there, I want you to plant your finger. Oh, down at verse 16. Oh, verse 17. Verse 17. And then I want you to look up at me. True doctrine. The doctrine that sets a man free from sin is very specific. Only those who know can grow. I had a dear brother talk to me a week and a half ago in the fellowship hall going through a lot of stuff in his life. And he said, Mike, I'm sick of looking at the internet. I'm sick of reading the books that tell me 12 things and three things and four things and give me steps to get free and that. He said, they give me a little bit of temporary relief and then it's over. I want something that lasts. I want something that's real. I want you to tell me the truth, how I can be free from sin, how I can be free from how I'm feeling right now. I want to strangle somebody. How can I really be free? Years ago, I would have given them four steps. I would have given them eight steps. I would have pointed them to this philosophy and that book and that author, but no more. There's only one thing that sets a man free. Look at chapter 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin, notice you used to be a you had no choice, have become obedient, notice, not from the head, but from the heart. There's an old proverb that says, he who gives quickly gives twice. From the heart's obedience, man, you're right there. You don't hesitate. Lorelai had had one of those coffee drinks that was full of sugar, and man, her stomach was killing her, and she was hurting, and she was over the house, and she went to lay down, and we diagnosed a thousand different things, and all of a sudden, a, a word came to my mind. I'm not saying it's from the Lord. All of a sudden, a word came to my mind. Sprite. Sprite. So I text my, I don't have, I didn't have soda in my house, so I I text my next door neighbor, Carol. I said, Carol, do you have anything for a little girl with a sick stomach? Do you know with, she lives next door. I'm telling you, within 60 seconds, she was at the back door knocking with a cold can of Canada Dry. That's a good neighbor. Fifteen minutes later, she was up and happy, running around. She said, Pop, all I had to do was burp. (laughs) Nothing better than a good burp from time to time, man, when you need to do that. What sets you free is only one thing. Notice verse 17 and beyond. It says that you were once slaves have become obedient from the heart, to the standard of teaching. The King James, I think, says the pattern or form of teaching to which you were committed. Verse 18, and having been, having been, I love that, don't you? 
You have been. You don't need to be, Christians don't need to be set free from sin. You are free from sin. You have been set, this is a past tense, finished, accomplished work. You have been set free from sin, having become now the slaves of righteousness. Now you can't help but do the right thing. So what is this pattern teaching? What did I tell my brother? This is what I told him. Christ alone. I said, brother, you have died to sin. You have been buried. You have rose again. You have been resurrected. You are to, we are to reckon ourselves dead unto sin and alive unto God. That's it. It doesn't sell a lot of books. You'll never show up on a TV show and all that. Because people want to hear all that psychology, man. That philosophy and, you know, how you're going to overcome this. And, you know, that sells books. This doesn't. Only Christ and what he has done for you and you have been placed in him. His history has become you have died to sin. You have been buried. You have rose again in newness of life. Rest, trust, rest, trust, trust. Never look away from that. Freedom. Mike and I have been at this for over 40 years. Okay? We have both been all over the place trying to find stuff. This is it. Death. Why do I say that? Because Romans 6 said, don't you know you're dead to sin? Reckon yourself to be dead to sin, but alive unto God. All right, let me give you an illustration because this is the only teaching that sets you free. And this is the teaching of his life in us that we got on the day of Pentecost, the day of weeks. Praise the Lord. His life in us is all we need. All right, so let's talk about the bread because I brought bread. And how I, since I just did this, let me go ahead and put gloves on. Anyway, that doesn't show up on the recording, but who cares? All right. And I've got gloves, and I've got gloves for a very specific reason, because this bread is not cheap, and I want to give it away to somebody who really wants a loaf of bread. But this is what they did, and the chances of this looking like a Jewish loaf are, well, who knows what that looked like. But this is what they did on the festival of weeks. This is what they waved before the Lord. They took two loaves of bread... Oh, I'm sorry. That's beautiful, isn't it? Mike, we get some honey and peanut butter. We could just tear these up, couldn't we? So they took these two loaves and they simply waved them to the Lord. Now, why two? Why two? I think it's because you have Jew and you have a Gentile. They are to be of equal size because we are all equal in the Lord. Now, I, look, I, I know that there's a verse somewhere that talks about there is no more Jew or Gentile for we are all one in him. And that's very true. But God doesn't take away diversity when he creates unity. There's still Jew. There's still Gentile. But together we are one. You know, we, we, we don't want to homogenize the kingdom of God. Years ago, I thought it'd be quicker to take, I had chicken one night and I had mashed potatoes and I had green beans and dinner was taking too long getting all that together. So what I did is I put it all in a mixer, like a a big blender thing and blended it together. 
and I put it in a bowl and I put a spoon in it and sat it before the family. I said, here's your dinner. I never did that. We have Jew and we have Gentile. God hasn't homogenized them together. He's, they're very distinct. Let me talk about the loaf and what it is. Do you know what happens to leaven when you bake the bread? It gets killed. When you mix yeast in water, you have to be very careful not to get the water too hot. If the water's too hot, you'll kill the yeast. It'll never do anything. It has to be nice and warm. When it's working in bread, they put it in a proofing oven. They put it in an oven that's kind of warm so that it rises and rises. And when it gets to a certain level, they stuff in an oven that's extremely hot. It rises up a little bit more, but then they, watch this, the extreme heat ends the life of the leaven, and it is what it is what it is. How many of you ladies ever baked something that never went up like you wanted it to go up? Flat. Let me tell you what I believe this is. This is the leaven of the doctrine of Christ that is not to be added to, that is complete, that is finished, and we are to eat of the bread of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. There's nothing you add to the leaven of the church. I was going to bring some, and I didn't, I was going to bring some of those rolls you, you break out of a can and they're all pasty and white. Just picture it for me, if you will. It's human psychology. It's legalism. It's, 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 it's abandoning grace to tell Christians what they have to do to grow and, and be productive. It's all laying like dough on the, on the finished product. It's those who abuse grace and, and, and add license to the whole idea. Dough that's added. It's human psychology and philosophies of men. That's why I think they had to leave the Passover, and and not leave, but had to leave Egypt quickly. Leave all the doctrines of men behind. Leave the philosophy. But you have in the church today doctrines and teachings that are just so interwoven and mixed up with the philosophies of men that it causes indigestion in Christians. I borrow a statement from Oswald Chambers, one of his favorite that he used, that he used, that Christians are to be poured out wine and broken bread for the hungry. Purpose of bread is to eat it. Amen. The crust is sweet. And when the, when the life of Jesus Christ is finished in a man, people eat that. I remember Mike, when we were brand new, young sailors, there's about six or seven guys. Old Charlie was one of them. Men that I saw the finished work of Christ in. I saw it in their eyes. I saw it in their disposition. They were gentle. They were loving. They were mature. I remember sitting next to an old chief in a song service over in Spain as they all sang the old hymns. And I'm telling you, the way that man sang those hymns, goosebumps went up on my arm. I thought, he's not singing it. He's worshiping man. He means everything he says. And I thought, someday, by the grace of God, I want to get close to that. We are to be bread to be eaten. And that is only accomplished when we discover the true teaching that brings freedom from sin. 
Look, the, the world doesn't need a message of Christians if we're just like them, does it? <laughs> we live just like them. You get free from sin and grow in grace by focusing on the doctrine. Let me give you three things, and then we're done. Three things, because I always got to give you three things. Always. It's got to be three things. Three things you need to know. The teaching is sealed. You don't add anything to the grace. You don't add anything to the doctrine of the death, burial, and resurrection. When Paul was pigeonholed in Corinthians and, and, and was forced to explain the gospel, he said it is the death, it is the burial, it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Don't go away from that. You can't go away from that. If you do, it all falls apart. You'll end up with a, a church full of wet, slimy, gooey dough. That's nauseating. The doctrine sealed. Why go away from what God has ordained for us to preach? We don't preach politics in this church. We don't preach social issues in this church. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that sets men free. That's it. My brother asked me one time, he said, Mike, how do you, he's, my brother's not a Christian. I wish, he, I hope he is someday. I hope he becomes someday. But Lee, I mean, he had to quit listening to Rush Limbaugh because he'd get all kind of red in his face. He'd get all crazy. He said, Mike, how do you, how do you stand there? I said, Lee, that's not what I'm there for. And then I went on to tell him what I was there for and the phone conversation ended. So anyway, number two, the harvest is sealed. I love that. All that'll come to me will come to me. The harvest is sealed. Now we are to be about working in the harvest. But do you know all that's sealed? It's all done. He knows those that are his. And when the last person's saved, he'll take his church home. He'll lose nothing. Our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is not in our ability our talents, our confidence is the fact that God, God is in charge of his harvest. It's sealed, it's done. He'll get his loaves. Number three, there is always unity and diversity. I love that. I love diversity. I love the blending of different people groups, of different talents and abilities. When he puts a church together, Imagine if he put it all together just like you. What if he multiplied you 150 times and that's all there was? I mean, it's like eating vanilla pudding with shaved almonds all the time. I love the fact that when we get to glory, we're all going to be one, but we're all going to be different. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we're grateful for the truth of this great day of Pentecost, that for the believer, rather than the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, we receive the tree of life at Mount Zion. We receive the life that makes the water sweet. And that the doctrine and teaching, this leaven that you have given us is pure leaven. It is the yeast and raising agent that accomplishes the work of Jesus Christ in the church. We are grateful for that. We are thankful for that. Father, we 
commit ourselves anew to, to, to rest in you and your life and to stay faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is finished, completed, not to be detracted or added to. I pray for anyone here today who has never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they would understand that when Christ died, he died for them. And that all is required is to call on the name of the Lord to be saved, to recognize sin in their lives, and to to understand that the blood that was smeared over that lamppost is still available today in the person of Jesus who died and bled on that cross. I pray for anyone here today who's never received that. I pray for the rest of us who know you to shout with a salvation that is full and free, being free from sin and alive unto God. In Jesus' name.